the biggest opportunity. It's based on the fact that, you know, uh, productivity is a big driver of profit. And I think one of the biggest opportunities see is the livability of pigs, you know, from birth to weaning and even the livability of uh, grower finisher pigs. Because if you look at global competitiveness and global situations, the US probably has the highest weaned to finish mortality, lack of livability, and everyone has pretty much higher pre-weaning mortality because we've seen a big increase in litter size over the last 10 years. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here, you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like EveryPig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Odiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Adiseo, a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions, such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health by nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. everyone. I'm your host for today's Swine It podcast. I'm Laura Greiner, and with me today I have Dr. Roger Campbell. How are you today, Roger? I'm very good, thanks, Laura, and uh, good to talk to you. Yeah, glad to have you on today. Roger, for our uh, audience who may not be familiar with you, would you mind sharing just a little bit about yourself? Well, I currently run my own business. It's a consulting business, and it's mainly on developing technologies, product development, and R&D, R&D design, and uh, with some of the bigger companies in Australia and some in, in Canada. But I've got a, a long history in the pork industry, over 40 years, half in research as a scientist, and half in managing science and companies. So that's pretty much uh, my uh, career in, in a, a nutshell. And I'm driven totally by discovery. So even when I was running companies, I was still looking for what the heck were we trying to find and were we making progress? Uh, yeah. So that still drives me. Yeah. So I don't care who makes the progress, as long as I see it. <laughs> that's right. And that's what I do for a lot of my clients, interpret research outcomes and how it might affect them. Maybe they should look at it or a lot of them probably not. Yeah. So that's what I do, Laura, now. Yeah. Yeah, you and I have had a lot of wonderful conversations over the years, and um, right, we talk about some of the research that that you've done in Australia and how it applies in the U.S. and and vice versa. And 
one of the things I wanted to touch on today, at least or to start our conversation is rather than go backwards, maybe go forwards. Where do you see our biggest issues in the next five to 10 years in the swine industry? Well, I see, yeah, they, they vary globally, but I do follow, you know, what happens annually across the world in, you know, where the costs are and where the technical, uh, yeah, opportunities are. And I think uh, the biggest opportunity, uh, and it's based on the fact that, you know, uh, productivity is a big driver of profit. And I think one of the biggest opportunities see, is the livability of pigs, piglets, you know, from birth to weaning, and even the livability of uh, grower finisher pigs. Because if you look at global competitiveness and global situations, the US probably has the highest wean to finish mortality. Yeah, lack of livability, and everyone has pretty much higher pre-weaning mortality because we've seen a big increase in litter size over the last 10 years, yeah. So, and that's brought with it other challenges, which I'm not sure we're making that much progress with, Laura, yeah. So they're two big opportunities, uh, and they're global, yeah, they're global. It's, it's animal health, animal livability. I think the other one and applies to the US is uh, if you look at your herd feed efficiency, total feed used by the total carcass produced or live weight, it's one of the highest in the world. Yeah, it's 18% higher than, say, uh, the Netherlands. So that's got to be an opportunity, even though your feed costs are lower and you still have the lowest cost of production in the world. It's an opportunity because if you could bring up from about 4.1, which it is now, the 3.6, about $18 a pig. Yeah. yeah. So it's worth having a look at. Yeah. So it's, it's, and the others are really, the others are, you know, issues that are likely to come up you need to keep an eye on. Europe, I think, is, yeah, what's next in the welfare arena? You know, what's next in the, you know, the carbon footprint arena? And the one that worries me, and I'm not sure where it's going, but I start seeing uh, more people doing something about it, is how how's climate change going to affect the global pork industry? Yeah, so, yeah. I see Midwest this year. There's a session on it. The last APSA meetings in November last year was a session on it. So, so people are obviously aware of it. But uh, the last thing you want to do is get too far behind that curve. Yeah, so. So I see there the issues, uh, livability is an issue across the world. And uh, uh, I think, uh, yeah, just how much uh, feed and how much uh, feed wastage, or yeah, feed wastage utilisation is still occurring. And uh, that particularly applies to gestating sales. You know, the utilisation of nitrogen is about 29% and the phosphorus, 16%. Ingestation. So yeah. we've got to be able to do something about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think those are good points. And, and livability is one, whether we're talking sows or wean to finish. We've talked about this for years. And, and sows. Yeah. Right? right. And, and yeah. It, as you mentioned, our, our numbers are continually going up. We're producing more pigs. Livability numbers are going down. Mortality numbers are going up. Um, anything that you see on the horizon to help offset those issues? Any technology or anything we should be thinking about? 
Oh, I think uh, the, I mean, uh, one of the genetic companies has been selling, uh, you know, the advantage of genomics. And we no doubt believe you've seen the graphs of litter size plus our birth weight going up at the same time. Well, that hasn't hit commercial production yet. So, but it does take quite a while for, you know, genetic gains from these top nucleus herds that come into commercial production. But based on what we're hearing, that should have a fairly big impact or a fairly big impact. The other things that, uh, there are little things you can do to increase, you know, survival of pigs uh, after their wean. You know, and the, what is it, Cairo Gawley's work on not once a day feeding when they come into the farrowing house, but twice or three times has an effect. Simple things like increasing the interest pigs in uh, by what kind of creep feed they have, like large pallets, playful creep feeders. Believe it or not, you think, well, uh, what's that going to do? When you follow them through, you actually get greater livability of those piglets. That's so. So it seems that, you know, we're, we're keeping throwing stuff in the diet when they're weaned, but the things before they're weaned can have an effect. Now, another one I heard you mention in a recent podcast was, I think there's potential to improve the health of piglets through the sales diet as well. We have a, there's enough papers published on that to say you can do it and it's well worth looking at, I think, yeah. And of course, for grower finishers, the biggest technology we've seen in 10 years has been uh, gene editing, but whether it'll ever, you know, whether it's ever accepted by the community and the regulators, no idea, but certainly this is a space to watch, yeah. yeah. So there's plenty out there, and some just take a bit of time to come through. Others have reported big effects and then no one else has carried through. Yeah, so, yeah. I think sometimes we struggle with the balance between what research supports and either what we have for labor availability on the farm or, you know, the ability to implement that technology. And and you and I were talking about this before we started, too. We were talking a little bit about Prop 12 and and research that, that you've all done in, in Australia and how that might apply here. So I'm going to kind of jump over to that for a minute and we'll come back to the the feed efficiency piece that that you brought up earlier, but um, we were talking about the idea that you know if we can mix sows successfully after five days and and have great conception rates, and so maybe allude a little bit more or expand a little bit more on on the information that you have because as you were telling me, you're quite successful with that in Australia and and here in the United States. Obviously, we're very nervous about doing that. Yeah, so when I was uh, with the pork CRC, we had a whole, well, six years of research on, I think it was called high integrity Australian pork. And the first part was reducing uh, the confinement of, of, of sows. And if you look at a reproductive cycle, 80% of it, the sows locked in gestation part. So that's where you concentrate first if you want to increase their, reduce their confinement. What we found was that you can make uh, group, group housing of sows work for the sow and uh, for the producer if there's a couple of major things you have to do. One is how you manage space, especially at mixing. So the more space at mixing, probably only four or five days. After that, if you want, you, if you're allowed, you can reduce the space, yeah, without any problem. 
But the biggest effect we noticed was how the sales performance and welfare measured by cortisol behavior damage uh, changed over time was the experience of the sow with the group housing system yeah. and, and the carers. Yeah. So first uh, research done at uh, River Lee, big uh, research facilities like you have in the US now, it was a disaster mixing sows in, in summer. Yeah, fertility collapsed, everything collapsed. And it wasn't much fun in the other seasons either. <laughs> when we did the research at the same facility, uh, 14 months later, same genetics, uh, given the amount of space we knew, or we did a space experiment, uh, there were no problems whatsoever with uh, welfare or reproduction, even in summer. Yeah. And I think it was due mainly to those sows ex having experienced that system. Yeah, they, and the ones that didn't behave were probably no longer there, right? Yeah. So Australia was a revolution or a transformation. So majority of sales are grouped at weaning in Australia all five days after, after weaning. And that's dictated by the retailer. Yeah, yeah, not, there's no legislation, but if you want to sell your pigs, that's how you do it. And yeah, it's a bit like what, what you're going through now. When it first started, Never heard producers so upset, so uptight. You know, this is going to be a disaster. And it was for 12 months, right? <laughs> Not because the sales were fighting it, it's because they were tucked away in sheds while they revamped their whole, you know, no one took care of the sales. Yeah. So reproduction did go down for 12 months. <laughs> but now it's uh, it just works like a charm. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you wean them at yeah, group at weaning, but yeah. You allowed one day, I think, here in confinement. So, so Australia's been able to achieve about an 80% reduction in confinement of sound. It's a big deal, yeah. Yeah, and as we were talking, your mortality is actually very good too, right? Yes, yeah, our mortality since this all started in 2011, when it finished about 2016. Uh, sound mortality is has uh, gone down continually over that time. It's only it's only like six point one percent now, very low. Those systems can work, and it's a bit like we were talking about before we come on, Laura. That there's already information out there that people obviously didn't use because I don't think you'd be facing a prop ten if you had that yet, a prop twelve yet, because you could have argued that we well, you don't actually need two point four square meters or 24 square feet, but you might for the first four days they mixed, right? But you don't actually after that, yeah. The sour's welfare is not affected if you look at sour damage, cortisol, and reproduction is not affected. So it can be done, but it's scary, and I'm surprised that America's still scared about it. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> no one over here is, yeah. yeah. Been done. I judge how things are going in the US by mainly from the Midwest meetings. So I go every year and you see what are the trends, what are the concerns, you know, in the papers and that. And it was a whole three years it was on sour welfare. That was it, you know, and I'm surprised, yeah, that uh, you're still where you are, you know, because I think we've definitely moved way on, way even beyond what they're doing in most of Europe, you know, yeah. without any problems, yeah. 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 And I, I think some of that, as we talked about with a couple other podcasts recently, is some of the labor challenges. And so 
Australia, I'm sure, is not immune to this either today is some of the challenges uh, of, of labor. It's so, a real challenge, yeah. Right, right. So how how are you all handling labor on farms today? Well, they, they've used, uh, in the past, they've been using uh, Filipinos, you know, it's, uh, yeah. But uh, the COVID's put, a, yeah, put an end to people coming into Australia. Yeah, I think it's opening up again now. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So people, what, I think what they're doing, I'm on a couple of boards of big producers. What they're doing and what they have to do is take much better care of their staff. Yeah, they all think they do, you know. So, uh, there's more, there's so many job opportunities opening up for people now, you know, as the COVID thing uh, uh, ends, yeah. There's not much more you, you can do than, you know, give your, your staff all the support they need and maybe even, you know, if it's if it's needed, yeah, higher salaries. You, you've got to yeah, you've got to keep them with good staff, and a lot of them are leaving to drive trucks and that because you get big salaries to drive trucks these days. No truck drivers, yeah. Everyone's facing a labour problem, yeah. And if you think about it, though, how COVID's changed work practices, I think we need to put our thinking caps on on just how you know with. You know, to reduce labour, what do you, what can we do within the pig industry? You know, to make those changes. Sometimes it's forced on you, yeah. And I think we're getting to the point where it's getting, uh, yeah, getting uh, uh, forced on us. So, yeah, yeah, it's very good. So I'm going to flip back now to feed efficiency. You had mentioned that the U.S. still has some opportunities from a feed efficiency standpoint. So, what do you think we're missing? Well, why? So what I did, I delved into, got into a rabbit hole actually, looking at why is the US different, somewhat less efficient than uh, than the Netherlands, right? Now the Netherlands have very high input costs, so they don't have a low cost production, but they have great productivity, and I think they're running a herd feed conversion ratio of about. It's under 3.5, which is amazing, really. They're going to 98 kilogram carcass. Uh, and they what they do have is low wean to finish mortality, 4.5. Australia has about 4.5 as well, but, but we don't have birds. We don't have feed. <laughs> we don't have the flu. But then I actually contacted a Dutch colleague. And you know what they're doing over there, of course, is they're not castrating all the male pigs. About 60% are left in calf, yeah. So that'll make a difference. Yeah, that'll make a difference. Their energy levels are probably maybe, they're not any higher than uh, the, the, the USA. So uh, what it, there has been interesting research lately showing, yeah, believe it or not, right? Showing <laughs> uh, things like gender, like females have a higher digestibility of protein, dry matter and energy than males. And higher feed intakes reduces digestibility and nutrients. So, yeah, that's well worth looking at. It's only three or four percent, but it's four percent on DE is half a megatribble, you know. Right, so, right. Yeah, that, yeah. Higher mortality contribute to poorer feed efficiency, growth finisher, you know. So, yeah. But it's a big difference, 18 percent, if you think about it, isn't it? I agree. I think it's. Again, when we talk about low-hanging fruit or opportunities, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, when you say 18%, yeah. 
That, that is a big number, and in, it yeah, should be an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So, and your productivity is getting near the the Dutch productivity. I think they're thirty, weaning thirty. Uh, yeah, thirty peaks per south year, but they're selling twenty eight point eight because they've got good livability. Yeah, so that makes a difference as well. Yeah, so. But again, it's for, I think the nutritionists just need to think of it. Maybe at the moment, I, you know, the, the, the emphasis has been on growth rate because yet that's the greatest value is getting big pigs out, you know, and when you've got cheap feed. But it's all I'm saying, uh, there's a tremendous inefficiency there and in pregnant sounds as well, but just nutrient use, yeah. Hey, you had mentioned that, uh, that gestating sow, you believe there's opportunity to improve feed efficiency. And so I'm just kind of trying to think through that. Where do you think that biggest loss is? Is it just around weaning and, and that period? Or do you think there's other parts of gestation where we have opportunity that we're missing? Oh, I think it, it's right uh, right through gestation. Okay. It, it's a, and the reason is, Laura, that their damn requirements are so low for most of gestation. <laughs> They're so low. Yeah. And the sound's so good. And only taking up what she wants, you know. Apart from energy, she always take up energy. Yeah. But she doesn't even digest calcium and phosphorus for a period of gestation. She doesn't need it. She's, she's an amazing animal. But there's a recent paper that, oh, they looked at precision feeding. So here, you change the amino acids a little You might have seen it every day, you know, versus flat feeding. Uh, and they were, they were, yeah, pretty low crude protein diets. But... Nitrogen efficiency or utilization was highest at 29% over gestation. Yeah. Phosphorus utilization was uh, 13 to 16%. Very good parity. That's it. Yeah. We're a long way from what we need to be there. <laughs> it's not affecting productivity of the sow. <laughs> yeah. But it is our efficiency. So I, oh. I think that's that's interesting, right? Because again, we talk many times about cost justification. And so yeah. um, have you put economics behind those numbers? I know. Uh, I think the paper might have, but I, but I haven't. Yeah, no. Okay. So, I haven't, but I was just, I was just shocked, unless they got their tables wrong, but how, how much we've lost, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what we don't know, this is my belief, you're a better sound nutritionist than I've ever been. <laughs> What we really don't know is what's happening in very late gestation. The sow's taking care of that litter herself as best she can, you know, yeah, despite what we throw at her, you know, or our beliefs. But you know, I think there's a lot of room there to assist her with, I'm talking nutrient intake or strategies in late gestation that will flow through to piglet survival as well, you know, yeah. We just don't understand... Uh, how nutrient supply changes there, or how she changes what she wants. Yeah, yeah. Great. Still big opportunities there. Yeah, she she's so willing to give up so much of her own body. Oh, she will. You know, <laughs> so that, that's where the complication comes from, from a nutrition yeah. uh, study standpoint, right? Is every time we try to, to manipulate the diet, she'll compensate and... Yeah, she's already, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so you could run, you know, I think in that, oh, there's a recent paper out on a new uh, vitamin D analog 
Mm-hmm. They looked at uh, reducing uh, calcium phosphorus 25%. But the sows, this was day, I think, 105, 90 to 105, 25% reduction in calcium phosphorus had no effect at all on uh, phosphorus or calcium retention because she didn't need it. That's yeah. <laughs> or the digestibility on that diet was higher. Just, just amazing what they can do. <laughs> but when you put this other material in, uh, yeah, it's a technology to keep an eye on. We can talk about later, but it's a, it's I think it's one alpha hydroxy calciferol. Just amazing effects on calcium and phosphorus digestibility. Amazing, and on energy digestibility. Yeah. Uh, what I learned more from it was just yeah. Just what we don't know about these sounds. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're amazing. They don't need that early. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They always use energy. You put really extra energy, they'll use that mainly for their own growth, though, isn't that? So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot yeah, of attention is there, Laura, still, yeah. Late yeah. station, yeah. Yeah. Another thing you had um, actually talked about in a in a paper that you had sent me was uh inulin and and um calcium nitrate in late gestation colostrum immunoglobulin levels was uh butyric acid at about a kilogram a ton yeah i don't think it changed i'm not sure about the amount of colostrum but it had a, just a like a threefold increase in all of the immunoglobulin okay yeah, and that was late gestation as well. So, yeah, the money we best spent is better understanding the sow in late gestation. I'm not talking day 90 or last third. I'm talking probably last 10, 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't understand it properly, I don't think, yeah. So I, and I think for years we've, we've talked about do we treat her like a dairy cow? Do we treat her differently? And, right, so we... We understand that transition phase, if you want to call it a transition phase for a sow, yeah. um, is critical. We know that's where mortality is the highest. We know that's right. That's where the biggest opportunities lie. But you're right. We don't we don't quite comprehend enough about what's really happening metabolically to to really hit that home run that we're all looking for. I think you know? yeah, we're all looking for what is the secret. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is the secret? Yeah. But there's probably something there, you know, they're, they're certainly going to be constraints or otherwise you'd be doing it yourself. And it seems to me that the Danish sows and the US sows, both, yeah, great bit of sows, but they're totally different sows, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the Danes have been going on about uh, the amount of energy before she gives uh, birth affects stillbirth rates and uh, duration of parturition. Well, the American work just can't be can't repeat that. You know, you think, yeah, it, but it has effects, but it's not on uh, duration of parturition, which is a lot less than it is for the Danish South. Anyway, yeah. I don't think we want to go to the Danish model. <laughs> Unless you're a dying. I have the right genetics. There's uh, uh, research showing that if you look at the genetic correlations between litter traits and progeny traits, 
there's usually, there's not too many, but the one that is that's uh, positive related is birth weight. And we know, we already know this, it's, but it's shown the genetic link as well. Uh, birth weight and uh, survival and performance of the piglets, including digestion. Yeah, so, and what it predicts is that going forward, you probably go for a smaller litter, but still weeding the same amount or maybe more, you know, so, and the progeny do better. <laughs> so we all knew that. I think we apparently know that, but it took a geneticist to put that paper out. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, things are going to change. Yeah. One of, one of the things I'm going to switch gears on you just a little bit. One of the things that that we're currently seeing in the in the U.S. is a, an increase in E. coli issues in the nursery. So um, many discussions have, have come back around from people about creep feeding or the approach of, of introducing feed before we wean pigs, right? Thinking that if we can get um, some transition over to solid food before we wean, we might reduce that E. coli attachment and, and potential propagation. What do you see in terms of, of technologies in, in that creep area? Because typically in the United States, we're not, as you know, heavily creep feeding before weaning. Ah, yeah, and I, I said you talked to me five, six years ago, I wouldn't even consider creeper, it was pain in the ass, you know, to be honest with you. You have to go do it. But now there's too much evidence, uh, too much evidence that creep feeding, and it probably doesn't matter what's the nutrient level of the creep, but what attracts the people to the creep, you know. So there's a good uh, paper out on just uh, modifying a creep feeder by putting some feathers and stuff like that. Attracts the people. And then when they wean them, uh, and they measured mortality as well. Those that were on the what they call the playful feed, it was no different the other one, just modified a bit. Uh, ate significantly more in the in the first two, one or three days, which is a crucial period when they don't. And then mortality was down. Large pellets, you know, large creep pellets, and uh, work done in Australia and more, I think even the KSU. Okay, they, they're attracted to a large pallet, you know, it's a, a 12 millimeter or something like that. Yeah, it's like a rock to them almost, yeah, but they like, they roll on it, <laughs> whatever. But it, it again increased intake after weaning, just on normal pallets, not taking the large pallet across. And again, in uh, the River Lee studies, uh, there was less, health was better and uh, survival was better. So this has got nothing to do with what they were given once they were. The biggest effect I've seen on intake in any paper I've read is flavoring the water. Yeah. Have you read that? It was a commercial product. Uh, it increased the uh, in feed, dry feed intake and growth rate in the first week after weaning by 80%. There's something in it. Now, it may not be that easy to implement, but if it solved it, I solved the problem, you probably would, right? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So that was that was flavoring the water at yeah. the cow level. Before well, at the piglet level on the south farm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then flavoring the water first week after weaning. Yeah. Well, perfect. So Roger, as we wrap up our time today, are there any key points that you'd like our audience to think about? Um 
as they head out the door and, and go back out to their pigs? Well, I think, yeah, the things I, that I keep seeing is that uh, even though you, you know, there's a lot of concern and you think, oh, we need to improve this, what there is out there is often information already available on that and it's, it's just being overlooked because you're worrying about something else, you know, so that uh, in many cases I think we have technologies out there that can solve a lot of our problems and we, we're just not fully aware of them. Yeah, so that, that's what I do is look for those and let my clients know it's even on the horizon, we probably should give this a go right now. You know? Yeah. So keep that in mind and, and keep asking if you're a producer or you're working on a farm, ask your nutritionist, your veterinarian, what is happening out there that's give me something exciting about. Tell me something good. Yeah, that's fine. So put your pressure on those people. <laughs> yeah. Because they're they're the ones who should know it. You know, yeah. And the other thing is, uh yeah, stay uh, optimistic because if you look what, you know, the last 10 years, we've had so many challenges with disease, with human disease and that. But all industry, particularly US industry, has come through, it's, it's, it's really responded so well. They're very innovative and keep, yeah, stay optimistic because th this too will pass, you know. Yeah. And then the main message for everyone is, yep, things are going well, this is it. You should always ask yourself the question, what can go wrong? Yeah, what can go wrong? And what are we actually doing about? Yeah, have we have we got something in place? Yeah. Yeah. That, it makes you think a bit harder. It's a simple question, man. Yeah. It's a hard question to answer. It's an easy question to ask. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I think it's it's so important because we tend to be reactive as people. Yeah, we're, we're generally reactive, that's right. Nothing. Again, on the welfare thing, don't, yeah, try and get ahead of the curve in areas that you might think are coming up and invest in research there and really follow, just look at what's happening in Europe because that's, that's, that's where most of it starts, yeah. But don't forget it, yeah, because that, that's it's a bit like Prop 12, come back and bite you, yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you for those, those key points. It is time to our famous three. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Um, as you know, the last few questions that we like to ask our guest speakers, it's really just common questions we ask everybody. The, the first question I'd like to ask is, do you have a favorite swine resource book that you'd recommend to the audience? Yeah, same one as everyone else. It's uh, the requirements as well. <laughs> it's the only book I use on swine, to be honest with you. But I use it every day, sometimes twice a day. You know, so just checking up on, yeah, what people are doing, why you're adding that, and then I look and they say, oh, you, you meet the requirements. So it's just it's, it's just tremendous. Yeah, yeah. How about something that's not related to pigs? Is there anything you'd recommend to the audience? I'd recommend, there's two books I'd recommend. They're pretty old now, but they're both about science and discovery and, and human interaction. One is uh, The Double Helix, The Discovery of DNA, Structure of DNA, uh, Watson and Crick. And the other one is Brighter Than a Thousand Suns, which is about the development of the atomic bomb at Alamos. Yeah, just a lot of personal, just see how personal scientists got involved and, you know, you know how jealous 
they got of each other in there. So when these discoveries were being made, yeah. It's just they're great reading. Yeah. And the other one I like was uh, when I first went to America, I read it, I was going to over to Beltsville in Washington, D.C., and uh, I read the book uh, Chesapeake by James Michener, I think, yeah. Chesapeake, just a great story, the history of the Chesapeake Bay area, yeah. Very good. The last question, Roger, that we like to ask uh, really evolves around if you can think of somebody that you define as successful within our industry, what's a key characteristic or trait that you think they have that's helped them become successful? Well, I can think of a lot of successful people in our industry. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Uh, and I, I think the, the, some of the traits, uh, one is that uh, one is that they're not they're generally uh, compassionate people, compassionate to uh, to other people as well. Yeah, so they may be a production manager, usually tough as nails, but <laughs> the ones that have obviously found had the greatest respect were tough as nails, but they were understanding of other people's needs. You know, under, yeah, understanding other people's needs. So and, and they understand that. Everyone wants to belong, you know. So if someone who does that in whatever level they're at will usually be successful. Now the other one is uh, those who keep yeah, challenging uh, the status quo in, in the not yet, yeah in the nicest way. Well, why why are we doing it? And why are we still doing it like this? You know, and it may be no nothing to change, but it makes people think then. Yeah, so yeah, they're two of the traits. The other is the. Yeah, it's genuine, most of the people I know. It's just the integrity, you know. Gotta have that. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get, you know, you don't give, give them respect, you earn respect that way, yeah. And, and you make a difference. You know. There's figures, there's plenty of them out there. Marshall asked me who's the top three swine uh, people. There's more, a lot more than three out there, Marshall. I, I can't name the top three, <laughs> right? 30. Yeah. Right, right. They all Everyone have different. They yeah. all have different traits, different characteristics. They all have different traits. They always come up with something new at different times, and that's that's really what we want, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Roger, we thank you for your time today, and again for our audience, this is Dr. Roger Campbell. Uh, thank you again, Roger. No, thank you, Laura. Yeah, I wish you all the best. Okay. Yes, you too. Take care. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.